On this Saturday cast, I'm joined by an executive leader and member of our listening community who's leveraged personal clarity to deliver business results. Perhaps more importantly, doing that while making significant improvements to employee engagement. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 357. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show gives you access to the practical wisdom that will empower you to become a better leader. And this is the monthly Saturday cast. About once a month, I air a special episode here on a Saturday. That's a chat with one of our Academy members or listeners. The next episode is still coming on Monday. So this is a bonus show. And the Saturday casts are sponsored and brought to you by the Coaching for Leaders Academy. The Academy is a year-long cohort of participant leaders who work personally with me to become substantially more effective in talent development, effective decision-making, consistent innovation, self-organization, and efficient learning. You can discover more and get alerted about opportunities to apply for the Academy in the future by visiting coachingforleaders.com slash academy. Today's guest on the Saturday cast is someone who is very much a fellow traveler on this journey with all of us. When I first heard from Jeff, I was just captivated by his story and how much he's utilized from what he's learned from the show. And I think one of the things that Jeff and I will talk about today is just the importance of while we're all on this journey in our own way through life and through work and leadership, the importance of being able to connect and learn from each other. So I am thrilled to be able to welcome to the Saturday cast, Jeff Phipps. Jeff is the Managing Director and General Manager for ADP in the UK and Ireland, and he's been listening to the show for a while. Jeff, I'm so glad to welcome you to Coaching for Leaders. Hi, Dave. It's great to be on. Let's maybe start this this conversation from something you told me when we started talking originally of uh, just kind of what brought you to this point. You, like many people who listen to the show, have been very successful in your career. You've been in leadership for a long time. And yet you came to a place a few years back where you were getting the sense that maybe something needed to change. Uh, take us back there. Where, what was the starting point for you? So I was uh, in a role that took me over to, I'm based in the UK, and the role took me over to Germany on a weekly basis. So externally, it looked like I was in a really successful you know, role where I was flying into a different country each week. But in reality, the, the job was, was really difficult, and I felt you know, quite isolated, quite lonely out there, uh, and it was, it was a real challenge. You know, so that's, that's essentially you know, where I was starting to feel, what do I do? I was in this role, I felt because I was away from the UK, I was missing my family. I was also lacking you know, being able to keep my network warm here. So I was concerned about exactly what I did to solve this, and I was talking to my uh, dad about it one Christmas and looking for some advice. And, and he said, what do you want to do? And I was irritated by this, this question. It was like, dad, why? I'm looking for some really good advice here. And you're asking me this trivial question. And then I realized <laughs> I couldn't answer him. Unpacking that and realizing that it was a deeper question than I'd first thought about. And it was actually a question that was saying to me, where do you want to go with your life? Not just, well, what's the next step or what do you do to move yourself out of this position? As you 
started to wrestle with that. And so much creativity and learning in life happens from a place of discomfort. Where did you start? So I thought about what I something I'd wanted to do for a while, and I, you know, I'd had a family, but I'd harbored the idea of going and doing an MBA. I was a bit concerned because I was, I think I was 46 at the time, and I thought, I, I feel like I'm maybe past the moment where this would be a good idea. Mm. But I, I decided I, to, to look, I'm fortunate, I've got a, a great business school quite locally to me, and I decided that I'd go to an open day. I was, I remember driving into the gates of the school, Dave, and thinking, are there going to be a bunch of millennials there are going to look at me and go, what is he thinking? You know, what, uh, what on earth is he doing here? And the opposite was the case. I was just, they, they kind of had me at hello. You know, I found it incredibly welcoming. I found that those nerves, those, those fears that I maybe had about embarking on that just melted away very, very quickly. I run into a lot of people in both prof- my professional and personal circles that I find, n- not everybody, but a lot of people who they go through an experience like going through graduate school and they've learned a lot and they've got a lot more books to cite and they've got a lot more ideas, but they haven't necessarily changed a lot of their worldview and mindset on learning and on growth. And when I talk with you, I get the sense that you really had some pretty dramatic shifts going through that experience. What's different about you today that wasn't true before you started that? I think that what was particularly powerful about the course that I did was there was a big focus on personal development as well as the the usual modules that you get in an MBA. And I found that I really embraced the personal development part. So we did some work such as do a personal timeline and look back at your whole life and really get a sense of how you are a product of your experiences, that what has led you to become what you are now. And I found personally that when, when I looked at that, it helped me really crystallize my values and allowed me to really develop, I would say, a clear understanding of what my leadership philosophy was. And importantly, I, I stress that it was what I really believed myself, not what somebody else had prescribed, but something that I, that I had managed to develop for myself. And that's really become the foundation of everything I've done since then. Ah, when you think about that clarity, how do you think about it for yourself now as far as how you think about yourself as a leader in that, that leadership development journey? That foundation has three parts to me. The first one is really appreciating and committing to a lifelong journey of learning. If we want to stay physically fit, we have to go out and run, ride a bike, go for a swim, and we have to commit to doing that forever. If we want to do the same in terms of our careers, I think we've got to make a similar investment in our minds. So I think a lifelong journey of learning is something that if you're really serious about taking yourself forward, you have to commit to, but it's not going to be as heavy, as much of a heavy lift as doing an MBA. It can be as simple as committing that you're going to to listen to your podcast, Dave, or you're going to read a book on a regular basis, but making sure that becomes a disciplined part of your life is the first part. So I think that's the, the, the first part for me. The second part was a commitment to diversity. I learned quite quickly that if I'm going to encourage a diverse organization, why is that happening? And for me, I realized that through this, this work of my timeline, that it was right in the beginning, early stage of my life. You know, my mom and dad had got divorced. My mom had really struggled. She'd been a single parent. 
And so I, this diversity for me is, is in all forms, so not just gender and, and race and disability, but also about social diversity as well. I feel like I'm, you know, I'm the underdog that managed to, to win through. And so I feel that's, I was able to see why that was important to me, why I, I, I believed in diversity for a long time, but unpacking it and seeing actually it goes right back to your childhood and your childhood experiences really was quite powerful for me. And so that was the second part of what I th- considered to be an important part of an important tenant of my, uh, my leadership philosophy. And the third one was that I think businesses cannot just be leeches on society. They have to be clear about what the role is that they play in society, both in terms of the products and services that they offer and making sure that they're clear on how does that serve society. But also, as employers, we, we educate people, we give them careers, we allow taxes to be, to be paid and people to live their lives. But we also work in a community as well, and I think we need to be part of those communities. So I thought that third part was really the, 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 the completed that triangle of, of my leadership philosophy. But I was able to, to really understand that and why I felt that way and piece that together through that learning experience. It is so interesting, isn't it, how our childhoods do influence so much of our value set on things that you know become really critical later in life. And it was interesting to me when I was first hearing about your childhood experiences and how many struggles you went through and thinking about that in the context of diversity. And I was also interested in some of the things you told me about that you'd gained from the show. And I know Therese Houston in particular, who was on the, the show a while back, change some of your thinking around this as well, even though you've always had that kind of diversity in the background of your own experience. Tell me about what it is you discovered from her. I thought, you know, her, her on the show and uh, the book, which is How Women Decide, was really enlightening for me. It's very easy to try to be empathetic without realizing how you can be just patronizing if you're not careful. And you have to invest in understanding what it's like for uh, for people who are different to you. So that book was uh, a major first step for me in really getting a perspective on the differences between men and women and how they think and some of the stresses and challenges that they face. I remember being at an event and I was actually the only guy on the table and uh, there was a speaker talking about some of the challenges that women have is that they will make a suggestion and it'll not get acknowledged. And a few minutes later, uh, a guy might repeat the same obje- same suggestion and he will get the accolade for the suggestion. And I thought, that's ridiculous. And I looked at them and said, that doesn't really happen, does it? And they both like nodded at me and went, oh yeah, and that happens to us all the time. And I think mm. that was the start of, I learned a lot from that book, but it got my curiosity into really probing and understanding what was going on in the minds of, in, in, not just women, but also, uh, you know, I think I said to you, I did a sponsored bike ride last year, which was to, to ride from Boston to New York as a fundraiser for the LBGT community. But for me, it was about getting the opportunity to, to speak with people about their experiences. You know, you can't re- just read about those things. You have to really go to some lengths, I think, to, to put yourself close to those people and, and try to really understand what's going on. So I think that anything that we can do as leaders to, under, to have a better understanding, to be more empathetic to that diverse pool of people that, that come, in, come into uh, you know, our places of work every day 
has got to be helpful for us to be able to connect with them and be better leaders. And sometimes it doesn't need to be a significant thing. I think that one of the most powerful things I've found is just when you're getting yourself a coffee and there's someone else there, if you, if you don't know them, you know, then say, how's your day? How are things going? But it's amazing how people open up and talk about what's going on in their world. And sometimes it's about things, very, very human things that are happening in people's lives, such as you know, somebody who's, who's caring for someone who's sick, someone who's got an illness. Sadly, you know, there are things that happen that are just happening every day. And if you don't take the time to understand what's going on in people's lives, then there's a real danger that you might misjudge them. You may judge them on performance without understanding the real context. And so I'm, I'm, I'm always reminding myself of, of looking for that. So sometimes it can be quite a significant thing. You get the opportunity to, to do something you know, larger, but sometimes it's really just that, being curious about people and what's going on in their mind, how they tick. And if you understand that, I think you've got the basis for a relationship, you've got the basis to communicate with them, and you've got the basis to, to lead them. We had Simon Sinek on the show a while back talking about starting with why, which is, of course, just part of his, his brilliant work around leadership. What you were saying earlier about the, the three parts that really emerged for you for your own leadership, that third piece of the organization doing good for the world, uh, in addition to, of course, being successful and hitting the numbers, um, strikes me as very much a part of that that start with why message. And I know it's been influential to you. And you'd mentioned to me, I think, when we talked that there was just some ways that that's influenced strategy for you and, and within the organization and how you've thought about your role as a leader. Tell, tell me more about that. I think when I started at ADP that I was surprised because I started asking my team, what do you think our purpose is? And I was frankly disappointed with what they said. Uh, they, they said, well, we're kind of here to make money, aren't we? And, and I thought like, hold on a second. Now, we, we are looking after you know, people's welfare in the sense that what we do makes sure that you know, huge numbers of people get paid. Yeah. And think about the consequences if that didn't happen. Think about the social value of what we do. Think about how you would feel if your bank suddenly called you and said, your paycheck didn't arrive this month, right? And that, for me, I, I would certainly hope, if there's one thing I've changed um, from an organizational point of view, I, I would really hope now that people take a real pride in the service they provide by, by what we do as a business. Of course, that service has a charge to it, and it allows us to be what we are. But I think just remembering why we do it and the impact that we have is uh, it is a really in, important part of what we do. So I would say that in terms of what we do, on the maybe on the flip side, Dave, in terms of how we behave as an organization, I mean, I'm blessed with a group of people that almost see charity activity as a, uh, as a competitive sport. Those things, again, are not just about doing things because it's some kind of cheap PR trick. For me, it's much deeper than that. That's, again, aligning with people's values. They want to work at an organization that aligns with their values, that cares about society, cares about the community that it operates in, uh, and does that not as a PR stunt, but because they're saying, hey, we share your values, and we want to conduct ourselves in a way that you feel 
part of something which isn't just the money-making machine, but actually has that social value. We have talked often on the over the years on the show about the importance of self-awareness and personal leadership first for leaders. And I think this is just a great example of how your commitment to your own leadership development and developing this value has now inspired you know, some of the culture and the language in the organization, the expectation as far as how the organization shows up in the world. And that's that's really cool that you've had that that you know some of that influence. I'm curious too about just some of the things you're seeing and the trends out there. And I, I recall you saying to me that when just thinking about this also in the standpoint of like bringing people into the organization. And one of the things I think you said is that when you when you sit down with interviews with candidates, uh, you oftentimes are disappointed in some of the things you hear <laughs> from candidates. Tell me more yeah. about that. One of the questions, and, and anyone who comes for an interview now is now going to know the answer, right? But uh, one of the questions <laughs> I we'll make I, sure they don't hear this. Yeah, <laughs> one of the questions I often ask people is, "What motivates you?" And you know, I often hear what I would say are very, I guess, sanitized answers. And every time I hear them, it's like a little part of me dies. It's like, tell me. Tell me you do this because you, you want to send your kids to a great school, because you want to make your mum proud, or because you want you know, security for your family. Don't tell me that you want to be part of a you know, large, prestigious organization, because I don't, I don't think that's what makes people tick. I really want to understand uh, what makes people tick. And I, I think there's a lot of discussion you know, in the world at the moment about authentic leadership, but I think we've got to cut through i think a lot of this uh, this corporate speak and actually talk to people as human beings and be really open about what's going on in our lives what we want from lives and when we do that we've got some we've got a basis for trust and so when i hear somebody who comes in who talks to me about something they're they're, they're passionate about and and i thinking of um uh, you know a colleague and friend um right now where that was the case, where they came for an interview and they just were completely honest about, you know, their their family and and what the, what they wanted to do for them. And for me, the comforting part of that is that I then know what their motivation is, and I believe it, and I know that when they're what's going to keep them going when they're having a bad day. When someone gives me the stock kind of corporate answer, then um, then you have no idea of what's going to, you know. What's going to keep them going when 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 the going gets rough? Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, I think that a lot of times people think that that's what people want to hear. And I suppose, in in their defense, there's probably organizations and leaders out there that are looking for that kind of stock corporate answer. But there is a deeper and greater purpose for doing things, right? And it, you know, it kind of comes back to Simon Sinek again, right? You know, starting with why? Yeah. Why are you doing this? Why are you in this in the first place? And it. it it's cool that you're thinking about that from the very beginning of those relationships in order to kind of create the culture by bringing in the people that are already thinking that way at the beginning, right? Exactly right. You know, uh, exactly right. Uh, so I want to ask you about something else too. You and I talked about humor and you know, you talked about being human and the importance of, of relationships. Uh, one of the folks who was on the show a while back was David Nihill, uh, episode 245, yep. How to Engage with Humor. You latched on to some of his work and said that was really helpful for you in thinking about uh, relationships and, and connecting with people. How was that helpful? Well, we've, we've done a lot of work. So um, we had something a while back. We uh, were getting feedback from 
the employees that they they didn't re really didn't understand our strategy. And so we did what all good um, leadership teams did and just started to produce more PowerPoint slides. <laughs> and, um, and when we realized that didn't work out too well for us, we started to scratch our heads and figure out uh, we're going to do something differently here. And we embarked on an exercise which was about not just explaining the strategy, but also explaining the culture. And I would actually touch on, the, you know, uh, David Marquet and um, oh, you know, yeah. the Turn the Ship Around book uh, yeah. as part of that, really thinking because strategy is great, but without the culture in the organization to drive it, I think if purpose is the why, then culture is the how. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, that was useful. Now, what David Nyhood did for me was really to help sharpen up some skills around storytelling, which I think is something you've covered uh, at some point on the show. I can't remember quite with, with who, but I'm sure there's been a recent show on it with recently. Yeah, yeah indeed. And he really helped as somebody that, that gave some really good skills and, and, and coaching on how to deliver your messages well, where to, you know, how to get that polish. He, it was fascinating to me. He's a stand-up comedian. He said that every minute of a stand-up comedy routine takes 24, 21 hours of preparation. Mm. So I don't have 21 hours to prepare, so I'm looking for every shortcut I can, can find. And so his sense of using storytelling, using humor, but also thinking about where you were going to emphasize things was, was very helpful to me. He was also, I connected with him as well and shared what, some of what, I what I've done. And he just came back with a straight away with a humorous line. So it was, it was also nice to be able to connect with him as well and share how it had been useful to him. There's so much about that conversation with David uh, in episode 245 that really goes way beyond just humor. I mean, I, I was frankly, surprised in a good way, because I didn't know what to expect going into that conversation and reviewed his work, obviously. But there was so much strategy and communication and storytelling strategy that came out of that conversation that I have used a whole bunch of times. In fact, I, I think I used it that month. And it was a really, we had a really successful marketing campaign with a project we were doing as a result of using some humor where we had never done it before. And it's really amazing. Like if you just stop for a minute and think about like how could we approach this a little differently and a little more humanly than every other organization is doing it out there or every other team is doing it, and it really just gets people's attention. Well, humor is human, right? And so, I again, if you're going to strike trust and relationship, you, you're going to have to be human in how you do it. And I think if we, uh, you know, there's times when humor is not appropriate. But I think that, you know, used in the right balance, it can really make things, it can help people to remember things, it can help them to embed things in their mind. But you can use humorous stories to really engage people. You know, think about it. If I talk about, if you use a humorous story to explain something to somebody, there's a good chance they're going to be really engaged in listening to that. You go back to the PowerPoint slides and and uh, a bunch of charts and spreadsheets and uh you know, people are going to start looking at their phones or nodding off, I think. That's the danger. You mentioned uh, someone else a moment ago. is one of my favorite conversations from the last few years, David Marquet, who's just done some brilliant work in leadership and language. And he came on the show, episode 241, talking about how to turn followers into leaders. What did you learn from David that's been useful to you? Oh, 
you know, one thing I'd say, which is so, so important to me is put the right people in the room. And I think there's a lot of, a lot of experience I've had in previous companies where the tendency has been to put the people with the most senior job titles in the room. And very often they're the people who actually have, who are least well equipped to really understand what's going on. So, you know, I think that David Marquet's book about turning followers into leaders is essentially about recognizing who has the right combination of skills, knowledge, competency to make the decision. And so I think turning that around, you know, and saying, this is what I intend to do to, you know, I think in his case, it was the, the uh, people in the ship would go to the officer or captain and say, I intend to do X. Yeah. Is, is really powerful because it, it just changes the whole nature. And I think it, it takes an unnecessary hierarchy out of an organization. And I want people to be, quite frankly, instructing me as to, to have that conversation earlier today with, um, with, with somebody about, you need to look at me as a resource and tell me what to do. I'm, and I'm fine with that. And don't think that you can't, you know, just because of, a job title or some hierarchy that doesn't need to exist in a really, really rigid formal way that you can't make it clear that, you know, Jeff, I need you to do these three things for my customer. This is important. And I need you to do it. And getting people feeling comfortable with that without feeling like they're going to get into trouble or they're overstepping the mark is, um, I think there's, I think that's hard. It comes back to the cultural thing again. But I think when you get there, it, it really, it's just wonderful to see the confidence of more junior people, seeing them getting the opportunity to take part in things that they wouldn't have done and therefore accelerate their, their learning, but also their impact on the organization much, much quicker than if you stick to the, you know, the, the old-fashioned hierarchical approach. There's so much about servant leadership that comes out in what you just said and in Marquet's work too around, you know, there's this traditional view of a lot of, you know, classic organizations of, you know, everyone's there to serve the CEO or the board or whatever. And and what I hear in what you're saying, and I think so many, you know, really talented leaders are doing is looking at it the other way around. Like my job is here to serve the employees and the yeah. employees are here to yeah, serve I, the people we're here. I, I was going to say, I'd rather draw the um, org chart upside down, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And and some organizations have done that. And it it's, and a lot of people give lip service to that. But to really change, I mean, the thing that you've done and Marquet is so brilliant at is like changing the language around that you're using in order to uh, really set the expectation within the organization that, you know, we're, this is not a, I'm requesting permission <laughs> from you. I mean, there may be times and places where that kind of language is appropriate, but but the default is much more, uh, here's what I intend to do, and here's how you can serve me and help me to really serve the organization and people well. And it's, it's just, it's really cool that you've latched onto that in your organization. I, the only thing I would say, though, is that it it's a, again, it's a journey and it takes time and it comes back to having that tenacity to keep going because I think that there's a t there can be a tendency to, maybe listen to, uh, read a book, listen to an author and go, I'm going to practice that. But some of these things take quite a while to really bed in an organization. And people often at first are sort of skeptical. Does he really mean this? Or is this just a, you know, just a rouse and it's all going to go back to the way it was. So uh, be prepared to, to be in it for the long haul. 
that's what that would be the advice I would give people. Mm, like so many other things we do in leadership, right? You know, the the real work takes time and uh, consistency over time. That actually leads into you know one other thing I want to ask you. I mean, you are you are a very busy executive. You've got a team of I think well over a thousand people, if I'm remembering right. And one of the people that came up in our conversation as well early on too was Cal Newport and thinking about deep work. And yep. I know this is something that a lot of our listeners struggle with too, because they're you know virtually everyone who listens to the show is you know very busy, has a lot of demands on their time. What did you find from either from Cal or what have you done in practice that's helped you as a busy executive to be able to make the space to 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 do the kind of work you need to be doing on a regular basis? So you you know this, you know that I was fearful about reading Cal's book because I'm- You did tell uh, me that, yeah. I did, right? I, yeah. The idea, I'm I'm not somebody, you know, st- at least the the idea of shutting myself away and doing the deep work side of things without human contact is not my idea of the ideal way to spend a time. I'm quite a sociable person, like to be interacting with people. And so I really resisted that book for quite a while. And- I, I regret resisting it for as long as I did because, like a lot of things, you you know you if you look at your the people that speak on the show, I don't think that the right thing to do is try to copy or emulate every single thing that they're saying because we're all different and we're all in different points in our life. But I think there's there's al- there's almost always something you can learn from everybody. And what I got from from Cal was the Chipping, being aware of what you are doing that's adding no value. And, you know, that can be as simple as you're watching TV, but you're not really interested in the show. So why don't you turn the TV off? And having that conscious awareness of what I'm doing now, is that taking me to, you know, where I want to go? And if it's not, do I want to do something about it? And so I think that that, I've chipped away a lot of things and been, frankly quite surprised how much time is wasted on things that had no value, serve no purpose. And that doesn't mean to say, by the way, that you you can't have a chat with somebody in the corridor because you become so obsessed with your own personal productivity. I don't think that's the way it should be interpreted. But I think that there are, you know, chunks of our lives that are not serving us well. And I was aware of those as I, I think I said to you, I've you know, as I went through my studies, I realized I had to cut out things like watching TV. I, I still listen to music, but I listen to, I don't listen to the radio anymore because I'm always listening to a download of your show or a book or, or whatever that may be. So it's, it's that that's been really powerful from learning from that book. Well, speaking of learning, you know, as a listener of the show, that one of the things I often ask people at the end of conversations is where they failed or what they've changed their mind on over the last few years. And I get the sense you have changed your mind on a bunch in the last few years. What is something that you think today that you didn't necessarily hold to be true, you know, five years ago or 10 years ago? I've got a couple. I think the the, the bigger one that really is what started this conversation is that, you know, prior to this, this journey that we've talked about, I, I think I was arrogant in a way in that I, I felt that I didn't need to invest in my development and learning. And I felt that I was a smart guy and I was doing well. And, you know, why did I need to do that? And I've come to realize that there's such a wealth of, of help that you can gain from other perspectives that, you know, I'm, 
I, I'm not one who, who thinks that if I had my time again and those sort of things, I think you are where you are and you've just got to deal with that situationally. But I think that I've, I, I'm at 180 degrees now. I, you know, I, if I'm not doing something to learn every day, if I'm not looking, look, if I'm not finding something that I can, that I can try, it might be a really simple thing. Like, you know, I'm going to try not saying the word, but for a week, right. You know, just to see how that, how that goes. And sometimes it, it's a bigger thing. It's about changing a more significant part of how you conduct yourself or, or what you're doing as a, as a parent, something deeper. But I think that that real commitment to me to learning, and I love the phrase from um, Marshall Goldsmith, which was just to say, I'm a good person, but I'm a work in progress and I always will be. Mm, yeah, indeed, indeed. Oh. Jeff, I really appreciate all your wisdom you've shared with us and how much you've applied here. So one of the things we've been trying to do with these Saturday casts is to put together a bit of a training plan for what it looks like for those who want to go and follow a similar path to what Jeff has described here. And so I think we've I think we've mentioned six past episodes. So uh, Jeff, hopefully I'll capture these well, but we've got episode 196, Creating Behavior That Lasts with Marshall Goldsmith, as Jeff uh, just mentioned. Uh, episode 223, Start With Why, featuring Simon Sinek. Episode 233, How to Make Deep Work Happen. That was the one with Cal Newport. Uh, episode 241, Turning Followers into Leaders with David Marquet, a former captain of the USS Santa Fe. We also had, let's see, episode 245, How to Engage with Humor. That was the one with David Nihill. And finally, uh, where we started, Therese Houston, episode 255, How Women Make Stronger, Smarter Choices. And I should mention, even though that the, the word women is in the title there, I think that's an episode that's just as valuable for men on making stronger, smarter choices as well. Jeff, did I miss anything or did, did I hit most of what we talked about? I think you got it all. Perfect. Well, Jeff, I, I mentioned this to you, but I'll, I'll say it for everyone else. The, you know, it's, it's, it's so fun to get to do this podcast in so many ways, but so much of my work is, is talking to experts and listening and asking good questions. What's really exciting for me is when I get a message from you and others in our community who have taken what they've learned have gone out and applied it, and some really great things happen in their organizations. So thank you so much for being an inspiration to me and a motivator to continue to do what I'm doing. And thank you so much for inspiring others uh, who I know will go back and, and dig into some of these principles and and listen, learn from some of these experts. I think it's going to be uh, really valuable for others too. Thank you, Dave. I, the, the thanks is all the other way around. I think I just want to say thank you for being, without even knowing it a lot of the time, part of my journey and really helping me. Well, the pleasure is mine. And thank you for listening. And hey, I've got a, I got a question for you listening. Uh, do you have a success story from what you've learned on the Coaching for Leaders podcast that I should know about? Uh, if you do, I'd love to hear it. And perhaps even with your permission, share it with our listening community, maybe even here on a future Saturday cast. So if you have a success story and you'd like me to know about it, go over to coachingforleaders.com slash success to share your story with me. And this Saturday cast was brought to you by the Coaching for Leaders Academy. If you'd like to discover more about the Academy and get alerted, alerted about opportunities to apply for membership, just go over to coachingforleaders.com slash academy. Hey, if you're picking up the show for the first time, this is a special episode on Saturdays. We'll be back to our normal Monday episode this coming Monday. Thanks a ton for listening and see you on Monday for our next regular show. Take care, everybody. Take care, everybody.